Hello. I am, I think I know pretty much everyone here, but if you don't know, as Matt said, I'm Jordan. Been at MRC for a few years now, and I'm off to the States in the summer to teach some English literature to people on the West Coast, which is very exciting. Um, uh, we're going to be looking at two things in this passage today. Uh, two simple but powerful truths. Number one, Christ has authority over the storm. And number two, Christ desires faith in the midst of the storm. Let me pray quickly before we start. Lord Jesus, would you be with me as I talk? Would it be you speaking truth to your church, not my own fallen ideas choking your gospel? Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our ears this afternoon. Amen. So if you've been here in previous weeks, uh, you'll know we've been looking at this section of miracles that we see in chapters 8 and chapters 9 of Matthew's Gospel. At this point in the narrative, we're in Capernaum, perched on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake in verse 18 of chapter 8, but is interrupted in his desire to do so by the two men in the passage that Matt preached to us on a fortnight ago. Indeed, these two men, if they would have in fact followed Christ, despite the hardships promised, would have clambered into the boat after Jesus, along with the rest of the disciples. And so, it's at this point that we are brought in close. We are with the disciples on the boat, watching the events that unfold on the journey across the Sea of Galilee. The boat they clamber onto as they leave the dock would probably have been about eight metres long, two and a half metres wide. If you're spatially challenged like me, that's probably from about Megan and Matt to about Newell and Alex over there, something like that, two rows long. Imagine then about 13 people clambering into this small wooden vessel, the sail being raised as they do so. It sinks with the weight, the water now only about a foot below the sides of the boat as it pushes off bearing the passengers sluggishly into the calm morning. The noise of the crowd is left behind them on the shore. The disciples settle in for the journey. And then, suddenly, Matthew tells us, a furious storm hits. This crowded boat seemed a lot smaller in the middle of the lake than it did even five minutes ago. The waves are splashing onto the deck. Nature, in all its unpredictability, is having its way with these 13 or so tired Jews in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Now, it's at this point in the story that Matthew tells us an important piece of information, but, he writes, Jesus was sleeping. We probably realise this at the same time the disciples do. In all their panic, great, Jesus, having curled up in a cramped corner of the boat, is undisturbed by the onset of a potentially deadly storm. So, the disciples clinging to the boat for dear life, shake Jesus awake, screaming over the storm, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Before Jesus even gets up, he first questions his disciples. You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then, in his mercy, he does something amazing. He stands up, rebukes the winds and the waves and returns the Sea of Galilee to complete tranquility. 
in this strange aftermath, a peace almost as sudden as the onset of the storm that had just threatened their lives. The disciples ask, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What kind of man is this? That seems to be the crucial question of the passage for us. Matthew wants us to ask that too. What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Matthew's a man of few words, if you haven't noticed. This whole event, the high drama of it all, is over almost as soon as it begins. Eight short sentences. But the words he does use are there to guide us toward the answer of this question. That's really the goal of Matthew's whole gospel, aimed at his fellow Jews, wanting to show them the messianic identity of Jesus, that he is the one spoken of in the Old Testament. And to an Israelite who is familiar with their Torah, more than just seeing that he is the Christ, they would also see an almost unbelievable type of authority that Jesus had. Indeed, if they had eyes to see, they would have been as amazed as the disciples were. Let's open our hearts to this most familiar of stories and also be amazed at what Christ does and is revealed to be in this passage. Let's see and understand the significance of the fact that Christ has authority over the storm. If you're a first century Jew, large bodies of open water might not be the most relaxing thing in the world to think about on your days off. There's something untamable and unsettling about them. Reminding them not just of the formless and empty pre-earth in Genesis 1 before creation has been rightly ordered by God when the darkness was over the surface of the deep. The sea is wild, it's unpredictable, and it's dangerous. Throughout the Old Testament, there are multiple images of the way in which God, in his power and his sovereignty, exhibits control even over these deep and unsettling oceans. Just to take one example, let's read Psalm 107, verses 23 and 26 to 29. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. The clear parallels with Christ's calming of the storm in Matthew and the other synoptic gospels is not difficult to spot here. Just as the seafarers in the psalm cry out to the Lord in Matthew's gospel, the disciples cry out to Jesus. And he lovingly reveals that he has just as much power over the waves of the sea as God does. Notice here that Christ doesn't pray to the Father he rebukes the winds and the waves himself. For the Jewish reader, the chaos of the waters and Jesus' commanding authority over them would have undoubtedly remind them of one person, the Lord God Almighty. This is what Matthew wants his readers to see. What kind of a man is this? He is the Messiah. 
is God. To turn to ourselves, sat here in this admittedly lovely Victorian school building in our masks, looking at this all too familiar Sunday school classic. When was the last time you were truly amazed, as the disciples were, at the authority Christ exhibits over the natural world in this story? Have we, with our 21st century Western minds, covered in safety tape, forgetting our delicate position within a turbulent world and in front of a holy God, have we domesticated the ferocious power of God's authority over nature that we see here in front of us? Take a moment. Let the full weight of this passage sink in. Not only the act itself, but the implications that it has for what kind of authority Jesus is displaying, for what kind of a man Jesus was and still is for us today. This is the entire might of God stood in human form, small and seemingly powerless, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee on a two-by-eight floating plank, hidden from the view of the bustling crowds of Capernaum, surrounded by the havoc of the waves, he reveals himself to his beloved disciples and now to us as well through Matthew's account. He displays his eternal power. This same Christ reveals himself to us as Christians today. He loves us and has saved us. If you're not a Christian, this might seem like misplaced fervour. We might seem like we're getting worked up over some unsubstantiated claims in a myth that was long ago brought into disrepute. Can I encourage you, talk to the people you came with, talk to who you sat next to, come and talk to me, go and talk to Matt, find out why we think like this, why we have good reasons to believe this is historical fact, and why we think that Jesus changes absolutely everything. And for the believers in the room, why not this week, in your quiet times, ask God to help you to see more of his awesome authority. Ask him to lead you into a deeper understanding of the mind-boggling meeting of a full and eternal authority with the fully man, Jesus Christ. This passage is not, however, just about knowing who Christ really is. In the very next passage, we will see how even the demons comprehend his identity, calling him in verse 29, son of God. Knowledge of Christ's authority and identity is central to the passage, especially for the reader of Matthew. However, it is also important to focus on what Christ specifically desires of his disciples. He urges them towards faith in his authority. It's not distinct from an understanding of his authority, but neither does it require a comprehensive understanding. Christ uses the storm itself as an opportunity to lead the disciples lovingly towards an understanding of what real gospel faith in a moment of crisis should actually look like. And we can learn from this episode too. We can see that Christ desires faith in the midst of the storm. Let's look again at the gospel account. Christ rebukes the disciples in verse 26 
before he even rebukes the winds and the waves. You of little faith, why are you so afraid? He says this whilst the small, terrified group of men seem to be caught somewhere between preparing themselves to drown and clinging desperately to the hope that Jesus could actually do something. There is a deficiency, but not a complete absence of faith. They've got enough faith to wake him up, but that faith is just the beginnings of the kind of faith Christ wants to bring them into. So what is it that Jesus wants from them here? Christ is asking the disciples to understand the authority of God, which is his own authority, as we have seen, just as the centurion of such great faith understood a few verses earlier, Christ is asking them to take God's loving care for them seriously, having faith in its power. In short, he wants them to be at peace. He wants them not to be terrified. This is challenging stuff. Matthew stresses in his telling of the story that faith kicks into action, revealing how deep it really is in the midst of the storm, not after it. We should want the kind of faith that is secure in the face of danger. But how on earth do we attain to this? I don't know about you, but it feels distant from me sometimes. Well, for a start, we could look to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Faith is the gift of God. God will strengthen us. Can I encourage you, therefore, to pray to the Lord for more faith. Pray daily for a better understanding of and trust in his authority. To know it truly and deeply. That doesn't change the fact, however, that we are the ones who have to do it. We're the ones who have to act out of our faith in God's power and goodness. Christ is calling us to deeper faith each and every day in the midst of the multitudes of anxieties and fears that might seem like they are about to overwhelm us. In the midst of your struggles with your finances, with your difficult relationships, with your chronic health issues, whatever it might be, he encourages you to trust him. Why not meditate on some of the seemingly insurmountable problems in your lives, those problems which just feel desperate? Actively give them to the Lord. It is by actively giving our anxieties over to him in faith, knowing deeply who it is we are entrusting them to, that the Lord will move our hearts toward peace in the midst of the storm. As a final thought, uh, bear with me, prior warning, this is a COVID application point. I know you've probably never heard of one of these before, um, but here we go. Um, it's something that was really on my heart in the past month, kind of preparing for the sermon. Um, so I hope you forgive me for one of those. Um, but I, I just felt, as I was praying into this passage and thinking about it, um, I just thought about the point we're at with COVID at the minute. We're coming out of restrictions. And I want to acknowledge there's a lot of fear um, for some, and for some, this is just a wonderful freedom. Um, but either way, the thing I want to point out is that this virus has not, it has not brought our nation to its knees in front of a God who is all-powerful. It hasn't. It has, in fact, 
caused us as a nation to pile yet more of our faith for salvation in the works of human hands, in vaccines, in lockdowns, in scientific knowledge. But why am I bringing this up? Well, because faith in Jesus, as we see in our passage today, is so distant. It is so alien from where the culture will lead you to if you let it. Our cultural symbols often don't even give us room to be terrified in the face of nature, of death, of evil. They'll put them in a sterilised box. The cultural atmosphere, if you let it, will stifle your progress towards a deeper faith in Christ, towards true and lasting peace. Because it leads us to believe that we can be in control. Even if sometimes we're not, that's what we're striving for. We can get that control back. When I look into my own heart, I'm not always so different from those around me who don't have faith in the Lord Jesus. Where is this radical faith and trust I'm called to in Christ? Sometimes I even find myself thanking God that he has given us back control over the virus. I might not pray those words exactly, but that's where my deceitful heart will go. Thank you, God, for giving us back control over this situation. No, that kind of a prayer ignores the central truth in the passage we've read today. Christ is in control. So put your faith in him, regardless of the storm. Sometimes we don't trust Christ because we don't feel like he is in control. Other times we don't trust Christ because we prefer to trust ourselves. Examine yourselves. Are you praying for control? Or are you praying for faith? What do you desire more? A deeper and more comfortable safety or a deeper and more all-encompassing faith? And after all this prayerful, careful introspection, look up and remember the wonderful truth that Jesus, in his kindness and despite the disciples' little faith, did, after all, quell the waves and save the disciples just at the right time. He has and will continue to do the same for us. We can have faith in him. He is trustworthy. Let's pray now. Lord Jesus, we stand in awe of your power. Lord, help us to see that you are all sufficient for every single one of our needs. Help us to know it in our hearts. Help us to live into a deeper and more all-consuming faith in you, trusting deeply and walking not in terror and fear, but in complete contentment all the days of our lives. Amen.